Well, hello and welcome. You're listening to Fourth Estate, where we talk journalists and journalism. We're coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Monica Attard. Well, this week we're looking at where the world is looking, the United States of America. We'll be asking where to from here as that nation stands engulfed in fury at racial injustice, where the streets of dozens of its cities are swamped by protesters and its military is on standby to quell what the president calls the scum looters. A president who, as we know, is at war with the media, all of it, bar a small but influential slither of it, which is called Fox. So where to now for a nation that was promised this? We're going to win at so many levels. We're going to win, win, win. You're going to get so tired of winning. You're going to say, Mr. President, please, we don't want to win anymore. It's too much. And I'm going to say, I'm sorry. We're going to keep winning because we're going to make America great again. So who else to talk America than two former U.S. correspondents. Zoe Daniels is now an ABC News rural reporter at large. She is also a former U.S. correspondent for the ABC. Zoe, welcome to Fourth Estate. Thank you. And Nick O'Malley is also a former U.S. correspondent. He's now National Environment and Climate Editor for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Nick, welcome to you. Thanks. Now, fresh from failing to deal properly with the coronavirus pandemic, America is now dealing with the fallout from the death of Texan-born George Floyd, who was picked up by police for allegedly passing off a counterfeit $20 note. Floyd was killed after arresting officer Derek Chauvin, who knelt on his neck for just under nine minutes and killed him, some three minutes after Floyd laid unresponsive. This murder has brought the racial fault lines in America once again to the fore. And as with all things in America in 2020, all fault lines lead back to President Trump. On Tuesday, peaceful protesters outside the White House were showered with tear gas and shot at with rubber bullets so that Trump could walk to a nearby church damaged by looters for a photo op. So what we're all wondering is, is this situation as bad as it looks, Zoe? We'll start with you. Well, I think it's worse than we've seen before. Several people have said that there haven't been widespread protests like this since Martin Luther King was assassinated in the 60s. Certainly we've seen these kinds of protests break out, particularly after white police have killed black men in the past. Mm. But I think what's different this time is the scale of it. It's spread, as we've seen, far beyond Minneapolis to dozens of other cities around the United States and indeed to Washington DC where the White House has been largely locked down now for several days. So this is certainly an escalation in the anger that we've seen before but it's the same anger and that anger really relates to the fact that law and order does not necessarily protect African-Americans in the US. They have to abide by a particular system of law and order and policing while living in general fear for their own lives and literally parents having to teach their children what to do if they are stopped by a police officer on a bicycle or in a store or in a car to keep Mm. their hands visible at all times, those kinds of things because of the actual risk of getting shot and killed. And that's really what's at the core of these protests. And this time, as you said, off the back of 
coronavirus and all of the grief and tension that that's created, uh, mm. this has boiled over. Oh, that's actually what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about as well. I mean, how much of this do you think has been accelerated? You know, what proportion can you attribute to the frustrations uh, with the way in which COVID-19 has disproportionately hit the black population of the United States? Well, it's difficult as we see this still unfolding to analyse exactly what the triggers were or are. But I do think that globally there is increased anxiety and tension in all populations. And Mm. obviously in the United States that's been running particularly deep because of the initial poor management of what was going on, Uh, the fact that the death toll is incredibly high, uh, the fact that healthcare is terrible, uh, and particularly for people in poor and marginalised communities. So that's why you see that disproportionate effect on migrant communities and African-American communities from the virus. So while already grappling with that, they're now again in the position where they see one of their own uh, treated in this brutal way by a white police officer, something that just continues to happen over and over and over again. And even this particular circumstance of George Floyd being knelt on and saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, has happened before. Uh, There was a case in New York that took several years come to a close uh, involving an African-American man in exactly the same circumstances. So this phrase, I can't breathe, has become kind of a catch cry for the African-American population in the United States, as in we can't breathe, we can't actually live our lives, Uh, we can't breathe the way that white people can uh, because Mm. we live in fear all the time. If you listen to some, it looks like America is on the verge of implosion, fascism on the doorstep. Others say that this is actually just what democracy looks like. It can get very ugly sometimes and that it will all work out. Nick, um, you know, is the, is reality somewhere in between those two or is is the first a complete exaggeration? I don't think the first is a complete exaggeration. I suppose um, democratic societies are constantly on a continuum between uh, liberal values expounded by governments and embraced by populations and more aggressive ones being being adopted. What's different at the moment, which as Zoe says, are identical to those we've seen, they're very similar, they have very similar uh, backgrounds to riots we've seen over many years. What's different now is that you have a man in the White House who is willing to embrace the chaos uh, and visions for his own political end. Um, during the, those earlier riots, which Zoe mentioned, and which I think we both covered, you had a White House and a Department of Justice, which was determined to try and, and de-escalate tensions between the communities and try and unite African-Americans and people of colour more broadly with the broader population. You had a Department of Justice after the shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson, which led to riots there. Uh, that launched a full-scale investigation into that police force. So the federal the federal government went in and they tried to work out work out what was wrong with policing in that state and across the country, and there were huge reforms. Mm. Um, that engendered, I think, a lot of bitterness and anger among uh, some who viewed Obama as an enemy. Now, Trump's going the other way. Rather than trying to unite, rather than trying to work out what is wrong with the police, what is wrong with policing in America, he's using the red vision 
I think he's aware that he did not perform well with COVID. I think he's aware that the economy, which was doing well but fragile and is now tanking, could provide, present him with a real problem elected at the end of the year. And of so, course, of course, Nick, now you've got the, the spectacle this morning of the former Defence Secretary, Jim Mattis, coming out and basically saying all that, that the US has gone through three years without political leadership and, and making a, a quite stirring call to take to the ballot box come November. I mean, it's... It was it was an ex- extraordinary piece of writing and, and beautiful language. Mattis is known for his language, but he's not known as a bleeding heart liberal. His nickname's Mad Dog Mattis. He's He's one of his most famous quotes is be polite at all times and always have a plan to kill everyone you meet. He's, you know, in that old conservative way of American Republicans, he's a patriot mm. uh, and, and he's appalled by what he sees. And, and so, Nick, it, it would it be your view that American law enforcement is actually racist? Is no, it endemic? Of course not. There's been, there's been some extraordinary instances of, of uh, sheriff's departments and police departments showing patience and caring policing. But there is, of course, there's a huge problem with racism, uh, well, in Australia, in America, and, and that is amplified in the force. The police force is the, is the arm of the government which African-American people are going to butt up against the most. One of the things that was discovered through the Department of Justice investigation after Ferguson was that Ferguson is a, is a suburb of a city, but it has its own police force, and that's really common across America. And each little town, each little town wants to keep its police force and often the only way they get funded is to have its police out there all the time issuing fines and the people you find are the people on the street who are african-american they get fined for jaywalking they get fined for the way their cars operate and then they're in the system if they don't if they don't pay their fines on time they're dragged back into court and in ferguson jail so apart from having a young man shot dead after an altercation over a pack of cigarettes you had a, a society a section of society constantly being harassed and harassed by the police force. Now, many of those police officers may not have been racist, but the system targeted against the African-American was targeted against the American population by intent or by carelessness. But that sounds like an eminently fixable situation, doesn't it, Zoe? Would it, would it seem that way to you? Uh, look, I think one of the problems that exists is, if not endemic racism, uh, deeply uh, split society economically. And, you know, it's the same in many other countries that you look at where you have poor socioeconomic uh, background in a particular racial group, then it leaves them then open to uh, the sorts of issues that put them into contact with the police, Mm. Uh, crime-related, drug-related, those sorts of things. So it's an ever-downward spiral when you have a portion of wealth in 1% of the population, which is largely white, and then a huge struggling African-American population, which is therefore butting up against the police constantly in just the way that Nick described for very minor offences. And in many ways, that's no different to the Indigenous population situation in Australia. I think the other factor that is kind of rarely explored is the fear, uh, not only within the African-American community, but among a portion of police who become very trigger happy uh, because of the fact that they feel vulnerable in their position of policing. Uh, mm. And therefore you end up with these shows, repeated shows of excessive force uh, that they therefore create in the end, the kind of situation that we're seeing now. 
So are both of you kind of a little surprised at the way the liberal media in the United States is, is running with this story, that by and large law enforcement across the United States is racist? Um, and I ask you that because Heather McDonald, a fellow at the Manhattan Institute who's written a lot about American law enforcement, says, you know, US cops as racist is just a convenient trope for liberals. And she implies it can easily be used to stir up political hatred. For both of you, both of whom have lived there for a few years, what do you make of the way the media has actually been playing this story? Look, I, I think there's been there, there's been a lot of reporting about the way police force is applied, and I think that's perfectly legitimate. I actually agree with that critic. I don't think necessarily that law enforcement officers are overwhelmingly racist, but I think the system in which they operate might be. And I think a lot of the reporting has reflected that. What I do see is that, you know, you referred to in your introduction a small but a uh, very influential organisation, Fox News. Mm. In all of its coverage, it has it just as Donald it, it has echoed Donald Trump's views about law and order. This is an old uh, an old conservative trope in America. It goes back to the civil rights movement and the Republican response to that, and and many politicians since they have referred to law and order and they've campaigned on law and order, which is code often for for keeping the African American community in check. So. I mean, to go back to your point, what I see is that Fox News is is a very politicised organisation. Uh, and I think other news organisations have reflected more broadly on the ground, which which is a far more complicated story. Mm. Zoe, what do you make of what you've seen of the American coverage of uh, of this story? Look, it seems to me just a rinse and repeat of the kind of coverage that we see every time of this kind of situation, where there is initial analysis around the behaviour of the police, uh, what needs fixing, whether racism is endemic within the various police forces. Then there is violence on the streets and the coverage turns to why are people wrecking their own communities? Mm -hmm. And the feedback from the audience then tends to be, particularly the uh, progressive or left-wing audience, uh, why are you attacking the vulnerable people, you should be focused on what the cause of their anger is. So it's simply a circular argument. Uh, Unfortunately, I mean, I think the question in regard to what's going on now is, will it actually change anything? What will it lead to? Uh, And although both Nick and I have said this is much larger scale than what we've seen before, uh, I've heard several people say, and my gut feeling is that it will eventually peter out and probably not change anything much at all. Uh, and this will continue to happen when African American men get killed by police officers. So I think it was you, Zoe, who mentioned that we're, we're not exactly immune here from the kind of problems that we're seeing there at the moment. We've got similar problems with our Indigenous population, some of whom die in custody, making up 29% of our prison population when they only represent 3% of the population overall. Is there, do you think, a disconnect here between, you know, us talking about America's problems when ours go unresolved? Well, I think there 100% is. Uh, But I think that one difference that does exist is the visibility of this in the United States. You have a very large African-American population for starters, but one thing that has really changed in the last, say, 10 years is the existence of camera phones and social media, Mm. whereby when incidents are filmed and shared, they are then seen by many more people 
both increasing the understanding of the experience of African Americans and, and indeed uh, police from some people's perspective, uh, but therefore uh, encouraging people to react to that. There have been some incidents in Australia and one even this week where it was filmed and therefore got a lot more attention than mm. usual. Uh, but many times here these incidents happen behind closed doors and therefore the attention is limited. Yes, indeed, it happened in, in jails by and large. Right. Nick, Nick um, are we, as some have asserted on social media, just giant hypocrites with our concern for black lives in the United States, you know, posting empty black squares onto our social media feeds whilst we sit back and tolerate what's happening to our own Indigenous population? Uh, look, there, there is probably a, a sense of hypocrisy in that. I think it's deeper. I think the problem that we have here is far deeper and far greater. The fact that we have not fixed this problem with a smaller percentage of our population since a Royal Commission that showed the of deaths in custody and incarceration. But I do think, uh, and that that is, you know, Australia's great shame. I do think, though, that it is reasonable for Australian populations to see what is happening in the States and be concerned. We live in an interconnected world. Those riots are now being replicated in London this morning. Uh, America is an ally and was a world leader until very recently. Uh, and the state of its democracy is important to all of us. So I totally understand why Australians are, are fascinated, captivated and horrified by what they're seeing. But at the same time, the fact that Australia discussed this, this issue of, of black deaths in custody in Australia and of, of the incarceration rate, uh, I think it's worse than hypocrisy. I, I think it's it's a problem for all of us at all of the time, not just when Happen in, happening in the United States. Mm. And so, where do you think? Uh, what, where do you think it will end up here in Australia? Do you think that there is a possibility that we will see scaled-up protests that people will just become more angered, uh, looking at what's happening in the United States, transposing that to what we're experiencing here, and perhaps want to take more action? Look, I hope more action is taken here, and I think we probably will see protests. Um, I don't fully understand why someone would walk in the streets in support of African-Americans in the United States. That's just a personal view. I do hope that there is more action taken on, on the terrible situation in Australia. Mm. Zoe? Well, look, I think if the situation in the United States and the attention that it's getting can bring attention to the situation here, that's a good thing. Mm. Uh, certainly my hope would be that it doesn't lead to violent protests, but if it can shine a light on this issue, which to some extent it already has in regard to Aboriginal deaths in custody, well, that is a good thing. And to encourage all of us to actually consider why do I turn on my television and feel concerned about what's happening in the United States without considering what is happening to our own Indigenous people. And if it at least provokes that thought, uh, then that is a step forward. Okay, well, let me play back into the same hypocrisy I just referred to. Let's go back to the United States. Let's talk politics for a moment. Do you think, Zoe, that the events of the past week play badly for Trump in terms of the electorate or, or does his playing hard with, uh, with, with the law and protesters uh, actually help his chances in November? Well, he's playing directly to his base. He has a rock-solid base of 30 to 35%, which elected him in 2016. 
those people will be largely supportive of the strongman commander-in-chief taking action, taking control persona that he is putting forward in the last couple of days. I think it's also opportunistic on Donald Trump's behalf because he has failed to grapple with the challenge of coronavirus and has been heavily criticised for that. That is an enemy that is very difficult to deal with or a situation, a crisis. In this case, there are actual things that he can do. And uh, from my perspective, he has seized that opportunity. It's also a chance for him to differentiate himself from his opponent, Joe Biden, who is not the incumbent and therefore uh, can listen and speak but can't actually do anything. Trump can. So uh, I think it's a mistake to sit outside the US and assume all hell's breaking loose, therefore Donald Trump is going to lose the election. Uh, I don't think it will play that way for him with his base. That said, I think that the challenge that he faces in November will be voter turnout. There are numbers around suggesting that around 74% of people intend to vote in November. The average number is around 60 in a usual Mm. presidential poll. So if Democrats get out to vote as a protest vote against Donald Trump in regard to his behaviour over the last three plus years, his handling of coronavirus and his handling of this civil unrest, that poses a problem for him. And as Nick mentioned earlier, the other issue that he has is the economy. The general rule of thumb is that a president going into an election with an economy on the skids will lose. Uh, The one thing that I would say that's different in Donald Trump's case is that he is largely seen to have done a good job on the economy uh, and that that had been paused by coronavirus. Uh, So that perhaps creates a different variable than for other presidents. But there is a portion of his base, the the 35% of black women, for example, who voted for him in 2016, uh, who who would not have been the beneficiaries of any economic bounce that has uh, transpired in the three years that he's been there or four years that he's been there. Do you think that base, that portion of his base may be about to desert, desert him as a result of what we've seen in the past week, Nick? All the polls I've been looking at over the past couple of weeks suggest that Zoe's right. This rock-hard base this is immovable. And if anything, thought solidified um, and mobilised by uh, the, the riots. Um, there are a lot of people who have not benefited by Donald Trump or by the economy of the past decades mm. who still support policy, policies that don't benefit them. Um, so if they see him as as the person who can hold firm in the face of disorder, we'll stick with him. But I do think that he is concerned, and I think you know his behaviour at the moment is, suggests suggests that. If you look at polls in swing states, they're a mixed bag for him. He's looking Pennsylvania, which he needs, but he's underwater in Florida. But the one poll that really surprised me recently was looking at independents, which normally. Uh, people who, who register as independents tend to, to vote by a few percentage points for Republicans. And he seems to be, in polls I saw recently, about 10 to 15 points behind in independents. And, and that would be a concern to him, I think. Mm. OK. Now, can we just look briefly at the way the media has uh, been treated, how reporters have been treated on the ground in the past week? Have either of you ever seen reporters rounded upon like they have been this week? 
Not in such a targeted way. I would say that my experience of covering protests in the US is that police will give no quarter to the press when they are trying to clear an area, especially if it's around a White House or a key asset. Uh, I have been physically picked up by the shoulders and thrown by a police officer when I was just caught up in the wrong spot in that kind of situation. Having a press pass on made no difference. Uh, that said, we have seen camera operators holding cameras and who are very visibly pressed, uh, seemingly targeted. Uh, one Australian camera crew, the vision distinctly shows a police officer throwing a punch. So there is a question there around whether the whole anti-press enemy of the people uh, rhetoric that we've seen from Donald Trump has had an impact on some members of law enforcement. Uh, and also, they some of those police will have um, a difficulty accepting the way in which the press is covering what's unfolded over the last week and the blame that's been attributed to police uh, for the treatment of African-Americans. So all of those things may well be playing in in, in the heat of the moment. Uh, certainly there are many, many reports of uh, reporters and camera operators being targeted, and I would say that's more than usual. Nick, do you think that the, the way reporters are being treated has been made worse by the fake news, enemy of the people rhetoric that we hear out of Trump all the time? My gut feeling is that it has. Um, I, I agree with, with what Zoe was saying. I've seen police who, when they have to move people strategically and tactically, they just do it. Um, but I've never seen police point non-lethal weapons and fire non-lethal rounds before. And I've seen footage of that in several cities. And I can't help thinking that um, part of the, perhaps part of the cause of that might be Trump's rhetoric of, of the, the journalists and the enemy of the people. Mm. But, you know, it'll, it'll take time to do proper research on that. I, I don't know the, is the answer, but I've never seen anything like that. It is quite extraordinary. So can I ask you as well, both of you, what do you think the Trump administration's response is likely to be if Australia formally complains about the treatment of the two reporting staff from the Seven Network? I mean, are they likely to say, you know, sorry and move on? Or uh, is there likely to be any repercussions at all, Zoe? Well, you, you may have seen the, the kind of non-statement from the US ambassador to Australia yes. in regard to this, which seems to be somewhat pointless because they didn't really take it forward in any way. Difficult to say. I, I think it would be very easy for the White House to issue some sort of statement saying we believe in the value of the press and we, you know, we want to make sure law enforcement are not targeting the press without actually doing anything about that, mm. um, but, to, but to be seen to be acknowledging the issue. Um, but that said, the way that it was handled by the ambassador almost seemed to be just just a, a quick way of making the issue go go away without actually addressing it. And of course, this is against the backdrop of uh, Donald Trump's uh, fake news, lamestream media, any enemy of the people rhetoric, which we have seen, and I have seen it myself, and been within the situation in, in Donald Trump's rallies where the crowd has been booing, spitting, throwing things, uh, screaming at us when we have been penned in, uh, unable to move in direct response to Donald Trump on the stage uh, speaking about the press in that way. 
Mm, God, how frightening. So you, you, you have both retired from US duties, but if you were back there do, doing your old jobs now, what would you be doing now and who would you be talking to? How would you be covering this story? Nick, can I come to you first? Uh, I think I'd be trying to get to oh, very, various cities. I'd want to be getting away from DC and New York at the moment and just speaking with uh, the, the members of the protest movement rather than necessarily people on the street. So always supported by uh, very well-organised, passionate, thoughtful people who are sharing information uh, and, and who do want to engage with the media and want to engage with the population. And they tend to give, I think, the most interesting perspectives of what the underlying causes of, of these events are. That's what I'd be doing. Zoe, what would you be doing? Yeah, absolutely. Grassroots coverage outside DC, both uh, in regard to the African-American community. What will these protests achieve? What do you want? And will that happen? Will that change anything? And then secondly, on a political level, has the attitude to Donald Trump changed in regard to his handling of coronavirus and these riots? And who are you going to vote for in November? And I would say that in 2016, I spent essentially the entire year on the road talking to those ordinary people in the so-called flyover states. And I fully expected Donald Trump to win the election. And I was not at all surprised on that night in November when he did. Well, you called it right. Okay, look, I think we'll leave it there. I thank you both for a great discussion. Zoe Daniel from the ABC, Nick O'Malley from the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Thank you both for being with us today. Pleasure. Thank you. And thanks for listening to The Fourth Estate. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you're subscribed to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so that you can hear us talk all about media, politics and, of course, a few things in between. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. Thanks to my producer, Anthony Dockrell. My name's Monica Attard, and thank you for listening. Thank you.